This is the House of Hockey podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. Hockey is more than a game, it's a lifestyle. It's you, the diehard supportive fans, your favorite players who are on the team you cheer for and the organization who supports them. The companies that make your gear, bags, and beer league sweaters, the hockey moms and hockey dads, and everything else that makes this House of Hockey your home. Come on in, I'm Breezy. And I'm Ray Ray. And And this this is is our our house. house. Welcome to the House of Hockey podcast, episode 11. I'm your girl, Ray Ray. And I'm Breezy. And we have a really amazing guest. I always say that, but our guests are just top notch. We're awesome. I'm going to give myself a pat on the back. (laughs) Um, as should you, Breezy. But our guest this week is Lindsay Fry. She is an Olympian. She played for the women's USA hockey team uh, during 2012, right? And so she? 2014. 14, sorry. Yeah. And yeah, she has an incredible story to share about her journey of getting into hockey getting into the getting onto the olympics team and what she's doing now for the sport of hockey and it's amazing it is yeah she was uh really fun to talk to i i don't really know much about women's hockey so for her to kind of walk us through the steps of what she's gone through to get to where she's at i mean she played for harvard and she's gone you know she's gone through a lot to, to get where she was. And she kind of touched a little bit on the state of women's hockey now, which was really cool to hear. Um, obviously there's a lot of controversy there, but um, yeah, it was, it was really cool to talk to her. Yeah. Especially because she's from a state and a city where there was not a lot of hockey growing up and what she had to do being from Arizona and living in Arizona and having to travel where did she go she stayed in the u.s but she had to travel that's right yeah to just find another you know squad to really make it on a professional level so it's uh it's a great it's a great chat it's a great interview she left our jaws on the floor i think during a lot of it it was just like we have 500 million more questions to ask you about all this you've got to come back on and we've got to dive into more stories with her for sure yeah i think we i feel like we barely even scratched the surface on the whole olympic series so think we definitely need to bring her back on and maybe we can convince her to maybe bring on a a guest or something that would be kind of cool she's she played with the a lot of top dogs in the women's hockey league and um the names next to to hers is I mean hers is by far fantastic as well but yeah all the names next to it uh, are just as powerful so crazy so stay tuned for that and we're going to talk about women's hockey right now, because as Breezy, you had just said, you don't know much about it. I didn't know, I didn't even know there was a pro women's league until like three months ago. And I mean, it's, that's a testament to where the sport is at, right? With women's hockey, the lack of 
awareness and knowledge that it even exists. But as you touched on, there is a lot of controversy between there used to be a, a different women's league and a lot of the top players have informed a uh, players association basically to help them get proper pay and travel accommodations and funding and all these kinds of things. But in the meantime, there's another league that started um, the NWLPA national women's professional league. No, that's not right. Women's hold on. Let me look women's national women's hockey league. N H no, no, N W H A L L. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Sorry, no, guys. Sorry. You're all screaming at me right now. Whatever the acronym is. So clearly, <laughs> there's some stuff happening. <laughs> and yeah. The league is working, but that in the current pro league, it was founded in 2015. There's five teams. They're mostly on the East Coast of the U.S. There's a was an announcement that one of the teams has been added in Toronto because the Canadian Women's Hockey League folded a couple years ago, but the current iteration of the Women's Professional League has now expanded to six teams. They play 24 games. The season's October to March, and they actually live stream the games on Twitch TV. Oh. So they had a contract with them to put the games out and get them out to, you know, a young audience and, and broadcast. And we've obviously seen the women, the, you know, women of the professional caliber in hockey in the NHL space, right? With the all-star games. Cause you watched those, right, Breeze? Yeah. The three on three that just happened this year. Um, And then, Last year, they also brought them on for the skills comp, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. I think it was. So, I mean, it's starting to, to trickle in a little bit, but I feel like there's it's still so underground that it's uh, it deserves a little bit more light than it has. And have you ever been to any kind of women's, like, hockey game, whether it be college, you know, Team USA, Team Canada? I haven't. So, when they played out here at the Honda Center, the game that you went to, yeah. I was actually going to go. So uh, Jason with he and I were going to, and his wife, we're going to take his, uh, his two kids because he wants to introduce his daughter to women's hockey. So we we're planning on going, but something ended up happening. But um, that would have been my first game that I would have gone to, but it looked incredible. It looked like a lot of fun and it got a lot of hype, which was really cool. Yeah, yeah it was. It was part of the... Team Canada, Team USA rivalry series that they created because that's basically that rivalry started with the Olympics in the year that Lindsay was right. Yeah, they lost. So. They lost, I think, to Canada that year. Yeah, not to right. <laughs> neutral. That was a neutral statement. <laughs> <laughs> Just stating facts here, people. And uh, it was a you know it was a it was a fiery game, but you know we've got a talk more about that later with Lindsay but anyway that whole rivalry that's spurred is what's had them create this series and what they did was they traveled which was really smart to multiple cities around Canada and the U.S. to again bring more awareness to the women's game and I was floored at that game Having never been to see women play, I really only feel like the difference 
for me as a fan was the fact that there's just a ponytail or a braid hanging off the back of their jersey. Yeah, I mean, they still do, they still hit hard. They Mm -hmm. still, you know, skate as fast. They still have the puck handling. I mean, I think that's what's underestimated is like they think that, I mean, I've done my research. Obviously, I just said I've never been to a game, but I've done my research. I've watched live streams. Um, Well, I guess pre-recorded live streams. Right. Whatever. You get the point. (laughs) But, I mean, they still hit just as hard. And even Lindsay touched on the base. She goes, no, you hit. And she was a bruiser. She Mm -hmm. even admits it. She was she wanted – she played with the guys. And, I mean, you're going to hear all about it. But she played with the guys, and she was afraid to even play in the women's hockey league because she thought – she couldn't hit and she thought basically life was over so for all those who think that women's hockey is weak it is not it is not and get your butt to a game when the season and sports return and see for yourself and you'll have just as much fun it was awesome I mean I felt just as giddy going to Warmies <laughs> looking for, you know, Hillary Knight and um, Kendall Coyne Showfield on the ice and watching them, you know, whip around and toss pucks. And it was just as <laughs> thrilling for me as, as if I was watching, uh, yeah. you know, the men's, the men play. Yeah. Speaking of, I follow Hillary Knight on Instagram. She's insane. <laughs> like she's ripped. Have you seen her? She is. I'm like, what? What is happening? <laughs> she is. Her She's abs. Ripped. Yeah. And her, like, I, I'm like. She could put Tyler Say into shame for sure. You might have to start a Hillary Knight night or something. That's <laughs> <laughs> so oh, boy. Stu- so dumb. It's so funny. But if if we're gonna do a say in what is it say in Sundays, right? Not Saturday. Yeah. You've got to come up Sunday. with a. Hillary night night once a month or something you know or like I don't know that's funny I don't know if you want to I don't know (laughs) oh someone did ask if I would start a like women's hockey one or I'm like like, I I don't have time for this people you can do it you do it yeah Yeah, it's a lot of work it's a lot social media is a lot of work it is people think it's not but it's a lot of work um, what I was also going to say was that after our conversation with Lindsay, she's also a coach and trainer and runs camps for, for, for girls who want to mm-hmm. get into the sport now. And she's actually enlisted Breezy's in my help in a little training. Show us, show us. I'm not, I'm hiding my address. I don't want anybody to come to my house, but I should probably hide hers too. <laughs> but yeah, she sent us, uh, I'll, I'll turn it around this way. There you she go. sent us uh, a little demo to do, which I'm really excited for. I've never really done anything like this before. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, so we're going to, we're going to do a trial and, and yeah. see how it is. Not going to give away too many secrets, but right. I think it's uh it's going to be fun. I'm excited. I've never really been excited to do anything online before. So, <laughs> Good. Well, good. You mean yeah. your social media isn't exciting for you? <laughs> I mean, like a class, you know? Right. Okay. So, but yeah. Just giving you shit. Yes, yeah. a class. It's uh, a, a class that involves hockey and we'll leave it yeah. at that. And I've uh, done a little bit of the first part of it. 
and I've been practicing and it's holding me accountable to continue to learn hockey and to continue to practice during quarantine. And I actually just put together a video breezy of my day one of learning to play hockey uh -huh. and the day, whatever now, it techni technically it's been like two months, but I haven't been practicing every day. I'm just going to be yeah. very transparent here. And I've actually made a lot of progress. Really? I got to watch it. I mean, the first video, I'm standing up. I'm not even bending my knees, but I had <laughs> had, I had, had nobody telling me what to do at that point. At day one, nobody was offering me any advice, you Are know? You straight, like, penguin standing, like, yeah, playing? <laughs> yeah, like a, a, a tiny bend in the leg, but just sort of standing up with my arms out and flailing about and ha not having my hands. I didn't know about wrist rolls. I didn't know any of this stuff. And I look, I look pretty decent. I mean, not, not that I can get on the ice anytime soon and look <laughs> around, but it's watching the progress from day one to now yeah. actually is is really encouraging especially when you're learning anything to see right. how far you've come because as you know and everybody listening knows I've been very frustrated along this process and felt like a complete failure at certain points <laughs> <laughs> and I'm you know a little tough on myself <clears throat> yeah it's but rewarding to see the yeah. results so how's your practicing going are you still using your your ice and your yeah I uh I get bored, so I just, I'll take a break, and I'll shoot a couple pucks, and then I sit back down again, so it's fine. It's fun. Yeah. I'd rather be outside, but it's, uh, it was weird weather out here lately. I mean, it, it rained on Monday, and then it was like, no, sorry, on Sunday, it was like 80 degrees, then it went down to like 60 degrees and rained, and then yesterday, it was 73 degrees. Yeah, it cooled so off. It's like, what's happening so yeah I'm with you. but practicing is uh few and far between but i still pick it up every day and just shoot a couple bucks that's all you gotta do just shoot yeah. that's fine any other life updates how's uh your kitchen coming your breezy's bbq oh my gosh are you, oh are my you gosh. grilling anything good oh uh, yeah so yeah i cook every day but my favorite spice place my favorite spice place is called Spiceology and they have a bunch of these. It's really cool. They, their branding is so sick. They have like, it's called like the periodic table of spices. It is so cool. So like my, I'm pretty much redoing my entire spice drawer. So I'm having like all these like periodic table spices. And then they do these collaborations with like these barbecue guys that are super good. And like they're the best spices ever. So I used one, I, I cooked some T-bone steaks the other day and I'm practicing my photography skill. So I'm kind of like doing both. I told you I was doing photography mm -hmm. classes. Um, so I, I took a picture of like a T-bone steak on like a wooden cutting board that's on like my fire pit with the Spiceology spice next to it and they reposted it. <gasps> they reposted it, it's on their feed and they shouted me out yep i fangirled yes I you fangirled. should that's so I exciting did. i was telling like everybody and they're like cool i'm like heck you're yes not... it's cool <laughs> you're like you don't understand this is huge 
this is my favorite spice guy <laughs> i'm just kidding but, but no. yeah it was it's a big deal it should be it celebrated cool. i saw yesterday and i was like gosh what else can i do to like keep getting that like, what do i have to do maybe if i cook enough mm-hmm. i wonder if they would sign me on to make my own spice totally they totally would who right. wouldn't want your own i would want breezy spice for well, the barbecue you. meat thank you yeah <laughs> that sounded so weird it did but that's it's, fine it's, it's what good. it is <laughs> it's what it is i had to come up with something good a good name too yeah what are you gonna call it are you gonna create your own periodic table like initials or abbreviation i could i don't know well i made my own my own barbecue sauce a couple weeks ago and i asked my friends i was like what should i name it and my one friend chelsea wrote back and my dog's name is mate so she was like name it meat mate yeah so i did and then I made, I had, and then everyone ate it. So then I had to make another batch, but I changed it up a little bit. And now they're like, oh, this is better than the first one. So now I'm like, do I just rename this one Meat Mate or do I come up with something else? Or you do it squared, start getting like oh. mathematical or something, you know? Yeah. I suck at math, but I do know what squared means. Yeah. You just put a little like two in, up at in the two, top. And two. <laughs> Yes. That's actually pretty good. I'm going to write that down. M2. M squared. Yeah. Or like that. Yeah. M squared. You could have the original meat mate. M squared. You know. Yeah. And beyond that, that's all I got. (laughs) That's okay. That helped. I needed that. A little inspo to get your mind thinking a little differently, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. That's exciting. I know. I still haven't had your cooking with quarantine, and <clears throat> I'm very much looking forward to trying your barbecue one day, hopefully soon. Hopefully soon, yeah. You'll have to tell me what you want. Full course meal. Oh, man. You you decide. I eat all the meat. You eat all the meat. And all the all veggies. The, all the, I don't eat corn. Oh, I don't either. It's fine. Corn's bad. Yeah. Corn okay, ups, I got you. Corn ups I got my you. tummy. But yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> all the other vegetables, I'm good. Any anything, okay. I I love cornbread. I love biscuits. I love collard greens, green beans. Mm-hmm. You know good. all the southern like barbecue type of. I make uh, cauliflower mac and cheese. Yes, and I do it on the smoker. Yeah, I want I want that please. Okay, and I also make really bomb asparagus. I love asparagus. Done. And then you pick the meat, whatever you feel like trying to cook. Okay. I'm hungry now. I just freaking ate. <laughs> now I'm like, now <laughs> I'll I want do it all to the you. food. And I'll do it to you. <laughs> so yeah. But yeah, I've not been, not too much change here in my life updates. I did, like you were saying, how the weekend was really nice here in, the, in California. They allowed the beaches to, to open up again. And that was music. That was music to my ears, though. I, the beach is my place, my happy place, my sad place, yeah. my everything place where I can just go to get away, clear my mm-hmm. head, or, you know, scream into the ocean or yeah. just relax or whatever it is. So I spent three days at the beach. That's nice. <laughs> Friday, I well, went for a bike ride <laughs> to the beach. Saturday, 
um, I went and I saw the bioluminescence. Oh yeah. This is, if people don't know what this is, it's a, I think an algae phytoplankton kind of mm-hmm. thing. And it glows neon colors, neon blue, neon purple in at night in the ocean. Um, and I don't, has that ever happened here before breezy I don't in think LA? Do you remember that? Like, no, since- I don't think it's happened here. The first time I actually heard about it, I was, I actually bought a, it was a Christmas gift and I got it for my nephew as like a nightlight because you can shake it. It was like a little dinosaur and like you put the little whatever organisms in there and then you would shake it and then it would illuminate blue, but it didn't really work that well. Cause like you have to like feed it with sunlight and it's like, and then you had to like feed it with other stuff, which is like obviously like plankton or whatever. But um, I don't think it's ever happened out here before or if it has, I just haven't heard about it. So. Yeah, I thought this is. I mean, I've I've heard of the, the red tide, which is sort of similar, I think, to what this is that happens yeah. in other places in the world, and I and at night to see it glow like that when the waves crash, cool. it's it's definitely cool to to see yeah. and experience. And I gotta I gotta go catch it before it leaves. Has it left yet? Uh, not yet. It doesn't, it hasn't, it doesn't really say, I haven't heard any reports that it's over. It definitely wasn't, well, I went over by where I live and I think in different parts of the Bay over here and in down Mm -hmm. in Orange County, it's clearer and the, it looks a little bit different, but yeah, you could still see it. So I did that. I'll hit up Malibu or something. It's close. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that's it. What were you going to ask me before? Or you were going to say something? About the, the water, the ocean, the bike. Uh, I don't remember. Oh, uh, California's supposed to open up by July 4th. <gasps> That's what That's I heard. exciting. I know. That means Very exciting. maybe for the 4th of July, I can come have barbecue. Yeah, because we're probably going to have a big party. We have a lot of birthdays we have to celebrate. And so <laughs> we're going to have a Who's big party. birthdays? Well, it was my older nephew's birthday, mine and my dad's. Oh, uh, my you youngest mean nephew. <laughs> yeah, got it. Yeah, so we had to. We're combining all of them, all quarantine birthdays, like all it. in all in one. But, but I was super excited because that means my road trip can happen. <gasps> right, right. We, I was gonna booked. say when when do you plan to do that? Uh, well, we now changed the plans again, but it's like set in stone this time because okay. we actually booked stuff. So like we're gonna hit up. Uh, we're going back. We're going to go up to Montana, which I originally wanted to do. Um, we're hitting up like Zion National Park. We're going to go to Salt Lake City, um, Jackson Hole, Idaho, Bozeman, down to Tahoe. So it's going to be sick. And we're going to do that in September. September. Awesome. Yep. That's the perfect time of year. I think so. Although it's supposed to be really hot in Zion. I don't do well with the sun. We all know that. Yeah. But <laughs> how's your tan? Uh it's uh it's not really there much anymore. Um, Spent four days inside, disappeared. <laughs> I gotta go back out. Go back out. <laughs> gotta go back out. Oh man. This is the part of the podcast where we let you, yes, you, hockey fans, take the mic and tell your story of interacting with an NHL player, past or present. My name is Michael Thomas, and this is my hockey fan story. Uh, it's about Luke Robitaille. 
when I was a kid, and I've been raised in L.A. my entire life, despite the fact that I am a very hardcore, diehard Flyers fan and have been for a very long time, uh, it originated with being a Kings fan and uh, being absolutely 100% fan craze over Robitaille. He was my idol. And uh, I used to go to their practices out here in Van Nuys at the Isoplex all the time when I was a kid. And uh actually got to meet him on my 11th birthday. And uh, he was the coolest, the nicest guy in the world. Absolutely no ego whatsoever. Um, he actually went out of his way because it was my birthday. Um, I think my mom had mentioned that to him uh, while I was meeting him. He actually went all the way back down the hall to the locker room to grab me a puck and signed it right in front of me and gave it to me. And I was 11 years old. And had it not been for that, you know, I was just getting into hockey at the time. I just started playing. Had it not been for that, I don't think I would have had that uh, that fire ignited in me to continue to play and just be an overall hockey fan in general, but also a player as well. So, And I've been playing ever since. So that was my story, coolest guy in the world, uh, and I will say I'm very happy that you were learning to play hockey now. We need more hockey players in the world, especially females. So thank you very much. Thanks for sharing your story on the House of Hockey podcast. We'd love to hear your story if you have one of interacting with an NHL player past or present. Just call our phone number 323-438-2648. Tell us your name. Tell us the NHL player's name and the team they play for. And then tell your story in five minutes or less. And you just might hear it on an upcoming episode of the podcast. And don't forget, guys, it is your last chance to get 30% off at coolhockey.com. That is the place to go for all of you hockey jersey lovers. And if you're looking to buy a new jersey or get a gift for somebody, you have from now until June 1st, if you purchase any jersey through our specific link, which is coolhockey.com slash THPN, that stands for the Hockey Podcast Network, THPN, you will get 30% off, which is about $75 off of a jersey, which as we know, jerseys are expensive and that is a great deal. So when you check out, just make sure you, you use our promo code THPN. And then there's a second part of this, right? You can even be entered to win a gift card, right, Brazy? Yeah, you can win a $175 gift card just by purchasing a jersey through our link using our code up until June 1st, and that's pretty much it. I mean, you can send us a DM or tweet us on uh, Twitter and say, you know, what jersey you just ordered just so we can have fun and and see what it is, and uh, we'll tie your name with your order, and you'll be automatically entered in to win a $175 gift card. So all you got to do is go to coolhockey.com slash THPN and use the promo code THPN and pick yourself up a jersey and hopefully you can win a gift card. All right. Well, I think we should get get into the interview with Lindsay. What do you think? I think so. I'm really excited for everyone to hear this one. Same. Enjoy. We've got a silver medalist Olympian in the house today. She competed in the 2014 Winter Olympics in Sochi. Playing for Team USA, Lindsay Fry, welcome. Thank you for having me. 
Yeah, we're super stoked to have you. Awesome. So you grew up in Arizona? I did. Chandler, Arizona. It's my hometown. <laughs> so how'd you get into hockey? Arizona's kind of the, uh, a little bit of a dry state for ice, right? Yeah, uh, definitely not the uh, hotbed for ice hockey <laughs> here, in, here in Arizona. Um, I think a lot of it had to do with timing. Um, you know, when I was four, I think, I fell in love with the Mighty Ducks movies. Um, and my dad was actually commuting back and forth to Southern California at the time. He, uh, we had an apartment, I think it's San Dimas. And uh, so it was awesome. I actually, we would come with him a lot of the time. And I had just, you know, discovered these movies, fell in love with them, fell in love with hockey. Um, they got me the little like Fisher Price plastic seats that would strap <laughs> onto my shoes. And I would just skate on the driveway with those for hours. And uh, eventually I got to actually go to some Mighty Ducks games, which was awesome since we were commuting back and forth. Um, so that piece of timing was, was really beneficial. When he was kind of done doing the work he was doing there and we were back in Arizona full time, um, the Arizona Coyotes came to town or the Phoenix Coyotes at the time came in 1996 and had their inaugural season. And after that, uh, they started building more rinks in the Phoenix area and one of them happened to be in Chandler. So it was like seven minutes away from my house. Um, but before that got built, uh, I, you know, my parents put a stick in my hands and I started as a roller hockey player as a lot of kids my age here in Arizona who played did and uh, started at roller. Once the rink was open in Chandler, uh, the ice rink, um, I went, tried it out. It was funny. My parents tried to get me to try figure skates first, not necessarily because they like wanted me to be a figure skater, but they just felt like it would be easier to stand on the flatter blade. And I was like mortified as this five, six year old. I was like, no, I'm a hockey player. I'm going to wear the hockey skates. Thank you. And yes. I've never worn a pair of figure skates to this day. Um, and yeah, so I, I started playing ice hockey there, switched over from roller. Um, but at the time, I mean, when I was born, you guys, in Arizona, there were less than 20 girls in the entire state between the ages of six and 18 playing hockey. It was wow. very small. Now, that number was up to like 30 or 40 by the time I started playing when I was six, but it was very small in a very large state. So um, I, I had really no opportunities to play with other girls. So I played with the boys, and yeah. um, fortunately, I was the kind of kid who just – loved it. I, you know, I wanted to be a hockey player and I just identified as a hockey player. It didn't bother me that <laughs> I was a girl. They were boys. Um, I, I love the game. I love the sport. So yeah, that's, that's kind of how I got into it. And, uh, it's, it's kind of a, a unique story for sure. I picture you like from the Mighty Ducks movie. What was the girl's name? The, the girl who played on the team? Oh, Cat? Um, well, that was one of them, right? Cat. Uh, there was Julie the Cat Gaffney. There yep. was uh, Connie. That's right. In the very first one, there was like the brother-sister duo. Um, the figure skaters. It was the figure skater, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, D2 was like, that was my movie. The Team USA one, that was, yeah. that was it for me. I just picture, picture you really like badass, like the girls in the movie, like with the boys, <laughs> like not really caring. It, it's not yeah. a big deal. It's just, it's just hockey. Yep, exactly. Well, and you know, when I was playing, we, uh, the rules hadn't switched over yet for USA hockey. Nowadays, you have to be a Bantam before you can start checking. Um, so you have to be 13. When I was playing, you could start checking at Pee Wee. So I was 11. And I've, <laughs> oh like, I've been basically 5'8 since I was 11 years old. 
So I was like a foot taller than all the boys. So I was like the big hitter on my team <laughs> and I loved it. I mean, it was just, it was just totally the, the kid I was. I wasn't like a bruiser or anything, but I like loved being able to just hold my own and toss the boys around a little bit. And it was a lot of fun. That's I feel funny. like, I feel like that's a really big misconception with women's hockey in general, that there's not a lot of hits and not a lot of big hits and there's no checking and there's no fighting. And I have seen it with my own eyes that that's not the case. Right. Yeah, for sure. And um, it's interesting. So I'll just kind of like keep walking through the journey a little bit because it's relevant. Sure. So um, when I had to switch over to girls hockey, um, a lot of it had to do with the recruiting aspect. So I was 14 at the time, 13 or 14. Um, I was a second year Bantam, just about to go into high school. And uh, we started realizing that if I wanted to play women's college hockey someday, um, there was no way I was going to get recruited playing on a boys team in Chandler. Mm -hmm. So I needed to find a girls hockey option. Um, I probably could have played a couple years of midget. I mean, I was, I was big and strong enough to be able to hold my own, but um, it really came down to the recruiting factor. But um, when we made that decision, I was super reluctant. Um, I did not want to switch to girls hockey. One, because like I was captain of my boys team. I had played with those guys since we were nine years old. Like I just, I, I was, I loved them. They were family. So there was that piece of it. But the checking aspect was huge for me because I didn't really have a ton of exposure to girls hockey yet. We had a couple like one-off teams here in Arizona but um, a lot of beginner girls played on the team. Um, we would play against weaker teams. And so it just, it really was like a non-physical version of girls hockey that I had been exposed to. And so I was devastated. Like I, I remember so vividly like crying in my shower because I had to switch to girls hockey. <laughs> and, uh, but I started playing for a team in Colorado called the Colorado Select, um, which was great. There was another girl here in town who um she was one of my best friends here locally and we would fly back and forth to colorado together like twice a month on the weekends to practice with our team or play with our team and then we would practice with boys teams i practiced with my younger brother's team here and we did that all throughout high school so um, you're what like 13 to 17 flying alone on weekends to go play hockey well so the first two years um so when I was like 14, 15, I, we would go together and we would always switch off like which parent would take us. So, but then from there, um, I, I'll, I'll get to it eventually, but I ended up switching to online school so I could go there more frequently. Um, and I would stay in Colorado. By then I had made enough friends. So like junior and senior year, I would stay in Colorado for a week and a half at a time, two weeks, and then come home and just kind of like alternate a week there, a week back. Um, You're like living the dream as a <laughs> high schooler, like away from home, yeah. you get to like go play hockey, do school, have friends and like yeah. not have to be with your parents. That's fun. Well, see, and the thing is like, I'm very close with my family. And so one of the reasons we chose to do Colorado versus like me just shipping off to a prep school in Boston was it was a really nice balance. Like I got what I wanted to get out of hockey um, I got the recruiting opportunities that we were looking for, but I also like, wasn't fully away from home. It was kind of like, I got to dip my toe in the water yeah. of being away from home, but when I needed mom and dad, I could always come home. So that worked out really well. But, um, 
as far as like the physicality of it, I really struggled with the transition. Like when I first started playing girls hockey, I remember like I was afraid to touch anyone. I went from being this like thumper on my boys team to thinking like, I'm not allowed to hit anyone. I'm not, I'm, I'm a lot bigger. I'm a lot stronger than a lot of these girls I'm playing against. Like I can't body up on them. And uh, it took my coach, like my high school coach starting to get on me and be like, you need to start being more physical. And in my mind, I'm like, I can't, I'll get penalties constantly. So I I started to kind of learn how to use my body um, and be physical, but in the way that was appropriate for women's hockey. Um, And then once I got to college, especially at the D1 level, like all those women are so strong on their skates that kind of to your point, when you watch the national team, like you can throw a full blown hit in the corner and you're not going to get called for it because nobody's going to fall. So it's, it's really just eliminating the open ice hitting, which is, you know, for a lot of reasons with the concussion stuff um, is, is leaving the men's side of the game as well. So it's, it's shifting more to that speed along the boards, physicality and kind of getting away from the fighting and the open ice hits. Yeah. Crazy. Go ahead, Rach. I'm sorry oh, to put you off. <laughs> that's okay. No, yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting perspective on hearing that from you. We don't really hear that from, you know, you would never have that conversation with a, a, men, a man playing, you know, like, I don't want to hit too hard. Like, that's just such an interesting perspective to share. So tell us a little bit more about the journey then from, so you, you played at Harvard, right? You yep. got recruited, you played there. Tell us a little bit about that experience and then how you ended up with the Olympic team. Yeah, so uh, that is a tumultuous tale. Um, oh boy, <laughs> lay it on us. Yeah, so so I uh, when I first got to Harvard, um, you know, I had played in 2009 and 2010 on the under 18 national team. So I'd already had two years of Team USA under my belt. Um, but I was I was I hate admitting this, but like. I was the kid who had a lot of talent. I was a big fish in a small pond here out West. Um, and when I like went into college, I was, um, I, I guess cocky is really the only word that I could, use. <laughs> but it wasn't like arrogant. It was just, it, it, it was like, well, my talent has gotten me here. So why do I need to like go above and beyond and put in any extra hard work? And I was so bad about like just comparing myself to other people to just be enough. Um, Like I have this vivid memory. I hate telling this story, but I have this vivid memory of leading into college. We got emailed, you know, here's your off ice workout plan. This is what we expect when you get here. We're going to have off ice testing uh, in the first week or two when you get to school. And I was just like super inconsistent in general about working out away from the rink. Um, And I get this plan and I'm like kind of doing it, but not really. Like I especially wasn't doing any of the running stuff because I hated it because I wasn't good at it. And I remember literally looking at like Facebook pictures of all of the freshmen that were coming in with me. And like by looking at their pictures, deciding like, Oh, well, I'm stronger than her. I think I'm faster than her. Oh, I look like I could be in better shape than her. Like, it was awful. And so I came in, like, totally out of shape, but thought, like, oh, well, I'm this stud from the West. Like, I'll be a first-line player, no problem. It's, like, 
my conditioning's not stopped me up to this point. It'll be fine. <laughs> and I get there, and all of a sudden, it's like, I, I think one of the, the things about being from out west and not seeing college hockey is, like, your, your mindset is so narrow. Like, I had no idea how many talented female hockey players were out there. So I show up, and I'm like, okay, these girls are bigger, they're older, they're stronger. They're <laughs> like, uh-oh, what did I do? And we get through testing. The first couple days were like all strength testing, which I did fine because I was naturally pretty strong. And then we get to the conditioning test. I get through. We had to do 10 reps of this like shuttle test. I get through the first rep barely under the time. And then the second rep, I like missed the time. And I, so I had failed after rep number two. And instead of, like, just grinding it out and continuing to run, which is what we were expected to do, I, like, collapsed to the floor and basically, like, I just quit. I was like, I, I can't do this. So not only did I have, like, a really challenging time adjusting to the hockey aspect, but I also went from being an online school for two years where I could set my own due dates. I could, like, go to school in my underwear if I wanted. I could, like, I had full control. And now all of a sudden I'm at Harvard. And it's like really rigorous academics. You, you show up at class at a certain time. Your homework is due at a certain time. So it was my transition to college was extremely challenging. Um, and probably one of the, the best thing this, things that's ever happened to me because it was a total humbling slap in the face. I had been very fortunate to have school and hockey always come easily to me. But then all of a sudden there, like, it pushed me so far out of my comfort zone my freshman year. Um, so that was challenging. And just as I started to kind of acclimate, um, my two days before Christmas, my freshman year, my best friend who I played with in Colorado, um, got killed in a car accident. Oh, so that was, that was awful. Um, and like it, that took everything from bad to worse. And, um, I just, I was all over the place. Um, I was also supposed to be leaving for my first senior national team camp the day after Christmas. So it was like, Liz passes away. I like, I didn't want to go. I was like, I, how, why am I going to go? I'm going to stay there for three days. And then I'm going to, going to fly to Denver for a funeral. Like I was, I was devastated. I was 18 years old. I didn't like nothing like that had ever happened to me in my life. Um, but my parents and my coach encouraged me. Like this was my first time at a senior national team camp. Like I was going to be out there with Angela Ruggiero and like, all these big names, like Jenny Potter was at that camp, like all these big names in women's hockey. That was like my first crack at it. So I ended up going. Um, it's funny, like since then, my parents and my coach have kind of been like, eh, maybe that wasn't the right choice. Cause I like, I was so like not there. Um, but yeah, so that was really challenging. And I, you know, I, the rest of my freshman year was just kind of a wash. I was, I was angry. I was sad. I was frustrated. I didn't know how to process all these emotions. And um, there were a lot of times that I wanted to quit. And the crazy thing is that was like 2011. That's, that's three years before my Olympics. Like it's, it was a pretty short window. So I ended up like finding a way to kind of take her memory, use it as fuel. And, um, kind of create more of a, a positive mindset around it and uh, had a fairly good sophomore year, but I still wasn't really like, I wasn't there yet in the sense that I wasn't doing everything that I could 
off the ice to be truly an elite athlete. Um, I didn't get invited to any national team stuff um, that year. So I went to that camp in December for the national team and I didn't get invited back the entire 2011, what would it be? 2011, 2012 season. Um, So at the end of my sophomore year, that's kind of when I had my aha moment. So I, I remember meeting with coach stone who was my coach at harvard and also at the time was projected to be the olympic coach and we had our end of the year meeting my sophomore year so i would have been like april of 2012 and i always bring up the timeline because like to me it's crazy i consider myself so lucky like people train 10 years with everything they've got and still don't make an olympic team and i basically had less than a two-year window to like right get myself going that's a uh, big life trauma and a big life adjustment aside from the loss of your friend but like the adjustment to this regular schedule and life and all this other stuff yeah that's incredible for sure so my aha moment came when I was talking to my coach and she sat me down we talked a little bit about the season and she finally goes she's like Lindsay do you want this and I was like well yeah of course I want this you know, in my head, I'm like, everybody, like every women's hockey player wants this. You're like, I'm not playing if I don't want it. Right, right. (laughs) She was like, but she looked at me and she's like, no, do you want this? And I thought about it for a second. And I was like, coach, do you think I even have a chance? And she's like, very direct. (laughs) So she like, kind of took a second, she paused and she goes, first three lines, probably not. But that fourth line is open for the taking. And I was like, Okay. And that was kind of like, that's when it clicked. I'm like, all right, I have the Olympic coach telling me that I legitimately have a chance of being on that team. If I don't give it everything that I have in the next like 20 months or 22 months, whatever it was, I was like, I will regret this forever. And so that was when it just totally clicked. And I, 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 just became so hyper-focused. Um, I completely changed the way I trained. I changed the way I ate. I, I like completely did a 180 and locked in. And um, to, you know, to the chagrin of some of my friends at the time, I mean, I, I never went out because I didn't want to put myself in a position to go backwards. Um, so I definitely lost a little of like the social time, but um, totally worth it. And I, I worked my butt off and um, completely changed everything I did. And it ultimately ended up paying off. So, right. So you made the team, obviously. Yeah. And then, yeah. how was it? Kind of talk us through like how making the team was, like how that, like everything that you've done to get up to that point. You obviously you made the team. How how are those emotions? And then how was it going through the Olympics? The whole process of that. Yeah. So what a lot of people don't realize is you know. The way the national team works um, is in the non-Olympic years, you meet up for a camp in August, you meet up for a camp in December, and then there's the world championships in April. Um, And then there's a few other tournaments throughout here and there, like the Four Nations Cup, but those are kind of the big, the big three events. Um, And you have to constantly be re-invited back. So like you could have played on a world championship team in 2012 and not get invited to camp the following August. So it's, it's very uh, dynamic and the team is like constantly changing. So your spot is never safe. So you have to be like extremely consistent. 
Um, so I had made it onto the 2013 world championship team in April of 2013, uh, which was huge, right? Like that's like <laughs> the last major tournament before the Olympics. But even still, everybody on that roster had to try out for the Olympic team. So that the tryouts for the Olympics were in June of 2013. Um, and that was cool because we did it in Lake Placid on the 1980 rink, which was awesome. Wow. Um, and there were 40 women there trying out. Um, and then the way it works is it's not like you just make it through tryouts and you make the team. I mean, it's very much like Miracle. So we, uh, 25 of us made it through. We had to have our roster down to 21 by January 1st. Um, and we all did what was called centralization. So we ended up moving um, to Boston, which was nice for me because all my friends were already there. Um, we ended up moving to Boston. Everybody withdrew from school for the year if they were still in college. And uh, we trained together from August basically through February. Um, but they're like, I mean, imagine, right? Like practice is where you're supposed to go and just be free, make mistakes, whatever. And it was like a month after month after month tryout. And you're trying to build these relationships with your teammates, but you're also like a little hesitant because that same person could take your spot. And it's, you know, it's a, it was kind of a stressful time. Um, but ended up making it through. We found out. Um, so we had uh, like one of our last series against or games against Canada um, right before we were going home for Christmas break. And we knew like the team had to be finalized. We still had two cuts to make at that point. We knew the team had to be finalized by January 1st because that's when it was getting announced publicly. And we finished that game in North Dakota uh, right before Christmas break. And we found out uh, after the game what the, who the final roster was going to be or what the final roster was going to be. And I immediately called my brother and I was like, Wes, I made the team. Don't tell mom and dad. And he's like, what? <laughs> he's like, he's like 17 at the time. He's like, what do you mean? Don't tell mom and dad. I'm like, just, just hold on. So in my family, we do uh, skits um, at Christmas Eve at my grandparents. Like we've been doing it since before I was born. It's been this like long lasting tradition and you can do a poem, you can do a song, you can do a dance, like you just have to perform. So I told my brother, I was like, let's, let's like tell them via this skit. Great. And, uh, so I go home for break. I tell my parents, I was like, Hey, I really thought they were going to announce it, but they want to wait and watch. We had one more game against Canada right after Christmas. I was like, they want to watch that last game to really figure out like who the final people are going to be. So for the whole week, my poor parents, they're just like, so, um, like, what are you thinking? Um, you think, like, what are, what are they looking for? What, like, they're just speculating, because they've already bought tickets. They've booked their rooms. They've done, you know, like, financially, it's, it was a really big stress. Um, and I'm just lying. I'm like, I, I don't know. I think they want to look at some defense maybe. At, like, I was just totally lying. Um, but anyway, so we, we did our skit, and my brother – uh, we came out, my brother was dressed as Santa and I was like, Oh, Santa, do you have a gift for me? And he's like, yeah, he gives me this poster and I look at it and then I look at the front and I go, this says two team fry. That's all of them. And I go, can I give it to them? 
And he's like, yeah. And I reached over and I started playing the like, dun, 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 dun. and I turned it around and it had the Olympic rings and said, we did it. It's so funny. I, the video is awesome. My mom like pans over. My mom's like, how do you know that? <laughs> my grandma's in the background like, Wah! it was awesome. So uh, that was, I, I think like that, that was probably one of the most special things ever just because, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a little girl from the desert. Like I was not supposed to make that team and without them, there's no way I would have ever been able to do that. So um, fast forwarding to the Olympics itself. I mean, gosh, there's a million things that we could dive into, but right. um, yeah, Sochi was an interesting place. Uh, yeah. I loved it as an Arizona girl. It was like 65 and sunny every day in February. We were, there were like palm trees. It, it was nuts. Like not what you would think of with Russia. <laughs> oh, wow. But like wow. Where we were, uh, it was called the coastal village. So we were right on the black sea. Um, and it was like really, really nice climate. It was great. We were walking distance to the, uh, to the venues, which was great. Cause um, I didn't realize this, but like when they were in Vancouver, it was a 40 minute bus ride to the rink and back. Oh. And every single time it was like, you get on the bus, they have to check your bags. They have to leave the bus, like all this stuff. We literally would just like to and from the rink. It was great. Um, but yeah, it, the, the landscape was really cool. Cause like, like I said, it was like really tropical. Yeah. And then you like turn and in the distance, there's these big beautiful white mountains where obviously all like the the skiing events and things like that were going on um so that was really cool my parents actually stayed on a cruise ship because Sochi like the Olympics that those Olympics are known for being like finished at the last minute um it's like by far the most expensive Olympics ever because they built it purely from the ground up like you could still everything was really nice for us but like you could still smell the glue. There were still some like, screws in the street. Like they, it was clear they finished like right before, but all of our parents ended up staying on this parked cruise ship that came in from like Spain because they didn't know if hotels were going to be built. So it was nuts. So anyway, um, yeah, the, the experience itself was, was incredible. And like, you guys can ask me any specific questions, but I think I think one of the biggest things or the, the memories that I always come back to really revolve around my family. Um, having, I had my entire family there, my best friend who I played with in Colorado um, that I would commute with from Arizona. She came, um, my best friend's parents, my grandparents came like it was, it was awesome. They all were there. Um, and I remember like the first time we went out for practice. So the first time we were on the ice, was so special because for two reasons one we're like getting ready to go out on the ice and my brother who's like you know this cool 17 18 year old kid is like leaning over like a little kid looking down the tunnel like waiting for me to come out and as I start to come out I can like tell that he's kind of crying <laughs> he's like, he like waves he's like Lindsay and his voice kind of cracked like it was so sweet I'll never forget it and so they were there for our first practice and like I go out and then seeing the Olympic rings on the boards for the first time, that was for me like, holy crap. Like I am this little kid from Arizona in Sochi, Russia, getting ready to play in the Olympic games. Like it, that for me, like I just got chills thinking about it. Like it wasn't real until that moment. Like it was, it was wild. Um, but yeah, so as far as like the games and everything, we can, 
you know, we can dive into that, but uh, obviously we didn't get the, the outcome we wanted. Um, but I think, I think to kind of wrap up the whole story, I know I'm talking a lot, but um, you know, it was, it was obviously heartbreaking. Like we were up to nothing, two minutes left in the game. They tied it and then we lost in overtime, like absolutely crushing. Um, but for me, a lot of people would ask me like, are you going to do another one? And I always take them back to this moment. Like as soon as I had the medal put around my neck, I knew exactly where my family was sitting and I looked up at them and I just like had this surreal moment. It was like out of a movie where I just started having these like flashes of all the people in my life from the time I was this, you know, four year old strapping on these Fisher price skates to the time that I was in Colorado to the time I was in college. Like I thought about just all the different people who had helped me get to that moment. And that's when I realized like, that's what I want to do. I want to go and help other people reach their dreams and have their moment. And uh, it's, it's really what's kind of driven everything that I'm doing today in the hockey world and um, just in kind of the, the mentorship and coaching world. Wow. That's such an incredible story. I don't even know where to go from after that. I mean, I it's like <laughs> you just said it so beautifully about your whole experience there. And I, I think it's a gift. It really is a gift when you can have those moments of clarity when you are like, okay, this is what I want to do next. And you, you, not even like the Olympics aspect of wanting to play in another Olympics, but did you want to never playing like professionally? Was that ever something that crossed your mind? I know the women's like professional hockey has, you know, seen its ebbs and flows with different organizations and stuff like that. But that was never something that had even crossed your mind. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. Um, my, so where the state of women's hockey was, um, I would say most of while I was in college was the CWHL. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I know it eventually got to a little bit better place, but at the time, like that's what women's professional hockey was. And Hillary Knight was fundraising to be able to go on like road trips. I mean, oh that, like, that was, you know, you, you think about where we were then to where we are now. Right. Um, so like that, that world just was never. Yeah. That's not very appealing. I mean, that's like, geez, like just to get on the road after you've had this, these incredible experiences and you've worked, you're working your ass off to play on the ice and do your best and then like have to do that extra. Yeah, I get that. Right. So that's kind of where it was at. Um, I also, so Olympics were February. I came back home. This would have been 2014. Um, I had my senior year to go back and finish up at Harvard. Um, I ended up training over the summer at Harvard. And during that time I was doing squats and it wasn't the squats that did it. I think it's just like what aggravated it. But all of a sudden, like my hip just was like shot and Mm. I had to go find out I had um, a torn labrum and also had impingement. And so, um, I was like, right before my senior year, I had to figure out, okay, am I going to like get surgery and wait another year to graduate? Or am I going to play through this and get surgery at the end? And um, that year, like our team was, it's the best team Harvard hockey has had in a very long time. Um, and still to this day, like we were the national runner-ups. Um, it was, it was incredible. 
And so I was like, I'm not missing out on this year. So I uh, ended up getting a couple cortisone shots and doing that whole bit and powered through. And um, at the end, I got my surgery and, and everything went really well. Um, but even then, like training for an Olympics is something that your heart has to be 100% in. Like it is so mentally, emotionally, physically taxing. Um, so I actually like while I was, you know, while I was hurt, I went to, um, a winter camp. Um, and I, I, I went because I needed to know if I was like mentally where I was at. Like if I, if I wanted to recover from this injury and like push through and, you know, spend another three years of my life training for another one, um, which, you know, I was, I was a fourth line player. Like I had no idea if I was actually even going to make it onto another team or not. Um, but I went to camp, I landed in Minnesota and like the second I stepped off the plane, I was like, Nope, like I know what I want. And it's not this, like, I want to finish out my senior year, um, have a great season, enjoy it, enjoy my last year of college. And then I want to go home and I want to like make a difference. Um, wow. I, I did still have to finish camp, which was, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that was almost like more mentally challenging knowing that. I, I, I didn't fully want to be there. Um, but yeah, so, but I don't know, it's weird because even though I didn't want to be there, there was also some peace with it because it was like, I knew deep down kind of what I wanted. So, um, yeah, so, you know, it had a little bit to do with everything. There was the emotional component. There was the, um, physical aspect, like my hip still, it, I, I worked through it. I'll probably need a replacement someday, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, it still does bug me every once in a while. And, um, yeah, I just, I knew it was the right decision for me to, to pursue other things. I did end up playing later on, uh, I rediscovered roller hockey. Um, and it, oddly enough, I didn't even know this rink existed, but there's a rink in Arizona and the head coach of the women's national team for, I, or for roller hockey is here. And so I just like started playing on a whim He's like, you should come to Italy with us. And I'm like, oh, okay. And so I played on two national teams for roller hockey, which was like <laughs> so fun. Um, so I, cool. I might still try to play on a few more. I don't know. They're just, they're super fun. It's a lot more laid back, but still like competition's really good. So I've, I've found other outlets to, to compete. <laughs> That's funny. So I have to ask. What do you do with your uh, with your medal? Where do you keep? Do you still wear it? Do you store it somewhere? Do your parents have it? It's uh, it is under my bedside table in the box that we were given when we got it. Very nice. un unexciting. Um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. They, the thing is, is like you often. Um, I don't know. Like one I would feel uncomfortable with it on a like display case like I don't know I just I like to keep it a little more hidden as I think most of us do um but I you also do like have to pull it out a lot because you know when you're going to events and stuff and um or in my case like I'm very involved in the hockey community here so there's there's a lot of people who um you kind of I don't know you kind of forget like how impactful it really is um and I actually have this very vivid memory, like right after I got back from the Olympics, I did um, my grandma's like women's group. <laughs> I went and like bridge like, club. <laughs> basically, it was like bridge slash garden club. I don't know. But uh, I ended up going and 
doing a little talk there. And that was like really kind of one of the first events that I had like brought my medal to because it was very shortly after I got home. Um, and I remember this like 80 something year old woman was like, she asked me if she could hold it. And I was like, yeah, of course. And she held it and she started crying. And she's like, never in my life did I think I would actually get to hold one of these or see one of these. And that I'm like bawling on the inside. And in my head, like that for me was like, all right, anyone who ever wants to touch this thing gets to touch it. So it's actually like fairly beaten up. I need to get it like scuffed out a little bit because <laughs> a lot of hands have touched it. There was one time where uh, I was leaving an elementary school. I looked down, I had like a big blue crayon mark across it. <laughs> but, uh, and it's, it's, I mean, it's really, it's not like because I don't, you know, cherish and value it. I do, but it's just like, when I saw what it meant to that woman to be able to hold it, I was like, any, like, if this can inspire one person or one kid, then, like, by all means, let it fly. <laughs> like, yeah. Really good with that. For yeah. real. Jeez. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about what you're doing now and that inspiration? And I see you've got some small fry stuff behind you. Tell us a little bit about that and, and what you're doing. And then we have some, we'll cir circle back to more of the like pro world. Yeah. I realized I didn't really dive into that question too much. I got No, no, no. Talk about um, what you're doing and how like all of the activities in the community, cause you were, you were already talking about that. So tell us about that and, and tell us about what you're doing now. Yeah. So um, when I, while I was still in college, um, the director of amateur hockey development for the Arizona Coyotes, um, he's really the, the guy responsible for all, you know, youth hockey initiatives that the pro team does. Um, he's like six years older than me, but we grew up playing in the same rink in Chandler. And his dad was actually my brother's coach um, for a little bit growing up. So we had like kind of known each other, um, not like super close friends, but knew each other well enough. And he reached out to me while I was still in college, kind of going through this Olympic tryout journey. And uh, he asked me, you know, when I was home, if I would be willing to come out and just like do some stuff in the community, do some, maybe do like a little girls street hockey clinic, whatever. Um, so it, it started very small with, with me getting involved. And then when I was done with college, um, we started talking, I started doing some one-off clinics, like totally just contracted. Um, and we just kind of did what we could with the girls that we had. Well, what was interesting is we were doing a lot to really invest at that time, not me. We, he was doing a lot, um, to really allocate, you know, his budget to try to grow girls hockey. And we were seeing that girls hockey was growing exponentially. Like we were number one in percent growth of all the states for like five years straight because it was just growing so rapidly. And yet for some reason, the, the number of girls teams weren't increasing. And what's kind of happened in Arizona over the last like pretty much my lifetime is that there's been like seven iterations of a girls association. And it's like, they get up, they get running. You have some really passionate parents involved. It goes, it goes, it goes. And then people burn out and another passionate parent comes and rebrands everything and then they run it. And it's kind of just been like that for so many years. So we started really thinking two things. One, how do we continue to develop the 
the ecosystem for girls hockey? How do we keep getting girls in at the very, very base level? Because what was happening with some of those other programs is they were just kind of going with what we call the catch model. So they had teams in like the Bantam and older age groups that basically were just there to serve the purpose of for the girls that were already playing in boys hockey, we'll be here for you when you don't want to check anymore. Like there really wasn't any girls specific development at the bottom. It was just kind of like, Oh, well I hope the girls play and we'll just kind of like bring them all together at the end of their mm-hmm. hockey. So we're like, no, let's, let's really try to do something um, to grow the base. Well, the other cool thing about the timing of that was that we got um, the industry growth fund, which I don't know if you guys are familiar with. Um, it, I think it started in like 2016 or 2017, but basically the NHL and the NHLPA realized that numbers were starting to plateau a little bit in fandom and they needed to do more in the community to really grow at the grassroots level. So they poured a bunch of money in and it got distributed out to all the NHL clubs um, based on what they applied for. But we applied for, or Matt, I should say, applied for a girls hockey grant. Um, so we, we got it and he said, I want to bring you on to like, par- I was brought, brought on part-time to run this small fries po- program, as you can see by all of our stuff. Um, so we piloted it in 2017. It went pretty well. Um, and then we, uh, we pivoted some things and then went like all out, marketed it like crazy in 2018. We had like 50 girls come out, um, for an entire summer. We had an all female staff, which is like, that's unheard of in a lot of places, but like to be able to do it in Arizona, um, I think and in hockey and the sport right. of hockey of all that says a lot about the program, right? We had a lot of women who had um, come back to the state who played that wanted to get involved. So it was great. Um, we had a lot of success there. So after that we were like, okay, now we're like, we figured out the funnel. We figured out how to get them in. So how do we create a pathway for them? How do we create something where they can start in girls hockey if they want to and end in girls hockey if they want to. And, um, we knew that there were enough girls to build out like a top to bottom girls association and we kind of figured like let's go for it and we I mean we we sort of went into it with the mindset of if we build it they'll come like we knew the numbers were there um we right. built it we we worked together with the other girls associations one of them had one team the other had two like it was very small and we said look like we are going to put all of the resources that we can into this we've got the money we've got the NHL club we've got the brand we've got all of it and uh, they, I mean, we expected it to be this like battle <laughs> to like get them to buy in. And they, it actually worked out really well. Like they were both of the leaders of those two were looking to get out. And so we kind of absorbed everything overnight. And uh, we took the state from having three teams to nine in one season. And we're going to expand to 12 next year. So we're, we're super excited. And um, I got brought on full time with the team about two years ago um, to kind of help with that effort and also just serve as like a female hockey ambassador for the team, um, which I shouldn't say it so nonchalantly. We were the first team to have a full-time female hockey ambassador. Since then there have now been four or five of us hired around the league. Um, so Haley Skarupa's with the Capitals, um, Kessel's with the Rangers, uh, Michelle Amadon is with the Avalanche. Um, so that's been really cool to kind of see how that's evolved. And then I also from there got asked to be on uh, the inaugural NHL Female Hockey Advisory Committee. So I'm on a committee with like 
12 other women, um, Olympians on both sides of the border. And it's, it's just been a really awesome journey. That's really cool. Have you noticed, uh, like hockey growing in the state of Arizona since Austin Matthews have kind of, has kind of shifted upward and obviously made the big leagues? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's, I don't necessarily know. Um, it did shoot up a little bit. Um, but I think overall, like it's been, it's been growing pretty rapidly before that. Um, yeah. but we definitely saw a little bit of a spike. Um, I think you're seeing a lot more kids. It's hard to quantify it, but like you definitely see more kids on both the girls and the boys side, more inspired. I think because of it and more parents like believing like, holy crap, my kid could actually do something with this. Um, Cause on the girls side, like there was me, we had another woman who played a year in the NWHL um, who's from here. And then obviously on the boys side with Austin and, and we're seeing more and more um, on the boys and men's side really make some big strides in the game. So um, I think more parents are just, you know, we always remind them like now we have to say at learn to play, like, your kid isn't here to become the next Austin Matthews. Your kid is here to learn how to skate and have fun and love the game. <laughs> so now we have to kind of like, like bring parents down a little bit, but um, yeah. I think overall it's just, it's really helped people and kid parents and kids like understand that there's no reason why you can't have the dream if you're from Arizona. Um, and, and actually that reminds me, there's an aspect that I haven't talked about yet. If I could. Yeah, <laughs> yeah do it. For it. So um, in addition to like everything that I do here locally with the Coyotes, um, I also started up uh, my own hockey camp business. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because when I got home, this was like, this would have been 2015. This is before Small Fries, before Kachina's, like any, all of that. Kachina's is the name of the, our girls association. Um, before any of that, I came home and it's funny because my, like my mindset initially was... Like, I wanted to give back. I wanted to help. But, like, as far as a profession was concerned, I didn't want hockey to be my profession. And, and I, it was because my senior year, like, all my friends at school, like, are going and getting Harvard jobs. Like, they're going right. to Goldman Sachs. And they're going to med school. And, they're, like, all this stuff. And so I'm like... Wait, what was your degree in? What did you end up graduating with? History. Or were you... Well, so... History? History of science. Okay. Um, yeah. Initially, I was uh, mechanical engineering because I wanted to build rides for Disneyland. That was like, I wanted to be Imagineer. That was my dream. Um, but I was awful at physics. So that got <laughs> shot down. Um, okay, so now. History of science because it was like the most convenient thing I could switch to at the time. And I actually did enjoy it because um, I was like, obviously really interested in nutrition at the time, kind of after that aha moment. So I got mm -hmm. to like tie everything back to nutrition, which was cool. Um, but yeah, so did not graduate in anything important. Um, pretty much like unless you wanted to become a historian of science and like go through a PhD program, like you weren't going to use that degree. Um, but I graduated and was like, okay, well, I'll run a hockey camp in Arizona and I'll run a hockey camp in Colorado to like give back to those communities. And then like, I'm going to go figure out what else I'm going to do. And what was interesting is that I started like setting up these camps and I started realizing there are a lot of other states out there where there are girls playing and nobody is going and giving them the time of day. 
And I was like, there have to be other places like Phoenix where this is a thing. So I started Googling the most random states I could think of. Like I was like, Alabama girls hockey, New Mexico girls hockey, Montana girls hockey. And by doing so, I started finding contact info and I started just like cold emailing people. And that was how my business started. And I ran like 10 camps in my first year. And they're all for girls. Um, and it's awesome. Like my first year, I go to Whitefish, Montana. Have you guys ever been to Whitefish? Uh, no. no. Super small mountain town. It's beautiful. It's like right in Glacial Park. You should go someday because it is very beautiful. It's a touristy destination, but very small girls hockey community. I went there my first year. I had like maybe 25 girls. Now I get like 60 plus. I get girls coming down from Canada. Like it's awesome. So I went from not wanting to do anything in hockey to creating this business. And what's interesting is I really fell in love with the back end of it. And that's what led me to go and get my MBA from Arizona state. And that's kind of how I made this transition to like, wait a second, I can do hockey and business at the same time. And that's kind of what like helped me realize like, wait a second, maybe I can stay in hockey. And like, it was just, so that was, that was kind of a, a cool thing. And, and I still do my camps to this day. I'm supposed to do one in a month. We'll see what happens with Corona. I might, I, I'm thinking of pivoting and trying an online model and seeing how that goes, but we'll see. Yeah, it could be cool. Yeah. <laughs> it, I mean, it's interesting. I've been talking to a lot of my friends. They've been seeing a lot of success. Like people are willing to pay to learn from you, like stick handling over a, a computer and right exactly I did just that I took a class <laughs> virtually because I've started to learn during quarantine at my oldish age and I did I, I mean it, it it was it it works it's hard to do more than just stick handling in a virtual setting but I'm sure you can figure out you know how to teach other things but yeah, yeah I mean it's a workable method <laughs> yeah, and it's just another yeah. side of your business that you can ultimately end up growing and becoming right. like a subscription model and send okay. out you know yep well I'm already yeah. piloting one right now so I'll, I'll send it to you guys you guys can be part of the pilot yeah let me All know right. I'll be happy to test it out at, at my small apartment <laughs> see if it works and report yeah. back but um I was gonna say so tell us a little bit more about what how do you think the future of women's hockey is going to grow? So being that you are consulting with the NHL, which is a huge part of growing the sport, I think, and bringing in the, you know, some of your teammates and the women in the three on three tournament in the all-star game this year for the NHL. And even in years past having um, Kendall Coyne on the ice and where, what needs to be done? How can we help grow the women's sport in a professional way? Yeah. To, to a professional level rather. Right. Right. Um, you know, obviously it's, it's kind of a weird time right now in professional women's hockey. Um, I remember the, so the NWHL started up right after my senior year. Um, it was kind of weird. We were, I think we were all coming back from the frozen four and we're sitting in the airport and like all of us, cause they're basically, were asking like every D one player, all of us who were seniors, like got this email on our phone being like, we're starting up this professional league. And the CWHL was still around at the time. Canadian women's hockey league and which um, is now not existent which is crazy yeah um so it's yeah I mean I had already made my decision to not play but Mm -hmm. they came out of the gate they had four teams um 
And then it kind of, you know, a lot of the Olympians were in it and the hockey was great, but the, the model wasn't quite sustainable yet. Um, and then I think, you know, basically what happened is a lot of the Olympic players were frustrated with the fact that they were calling it professional hockey, but it, it wasn't really professional hockey. It was, it was a step above the CWHL, but they were still, you know, staying in hotels 50 minutes away from the rink. They got 10 minutes, $10 of per diem per meal or whatever. Like, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't quite professional yet. Um, so that's when a lot of the players started up the professional women's hockey players association. And their goal is, is really to try to get the exposure and get the support and really kind of build up, not just in new England, which is primarily where the, um, or in the Northwest, which is prime, sorry, Northeast where, which is primarily where all the NWHL teams are. They wanted to really showcase nationally. So we actually brought the PWHPA down, um, couple months ago two months ago it was awesome event phenomenal hockey we got because it was Arizona in March we got like the best of the best players which was really cool um but it's it's a weird time right now and um the NWHL just expanded to Toronto they have a lot of uh new women in joining kind of the leadership group there um and it's it's going to be interesting to see I think I think overall um in my opinion like I said before we started this, you know, I have to stay relatively agnostic based on my position, but I've, I've talked to, I'm in conversations on both sides. Um, if anything, I personally, I want to try to continue to be a bridge in whatever way I can, because I do think, you know, there's, there's a lot of frustration on both sides. And, um, I, but I also think that the only way we're going to do this is if everybody's working together and pulling the rope in the same direction. So, I think the the politics will will work itself out, um, but I think as far as what the what the general population can do to support it and help grow it um, is like it's it's super simple, but like you have to watch it. You know, the reason these these business models don't work is because if people aren't at the rink um, watching the games, then it, it's it's not sustainable. We we ran our event here. They played three games, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. The first two were against each other. And like I said, I mean, we had Kendall Coyne. We had Brianna Decker. We had, like, we had big names here. Um, and we played in a very small rink of, like, 700 people max. And uh, we priced it at, like, $30 a ticket per, per day. And now, granted, like, for a family of four, that's you're spending, you know, 300 bucks, 400 bucks for the weekend. But, um, we really had to kind of like, I, thankfully, like I was here and Katie who played, uh, for the white caps was, you know, we're all kind of in the association together. Like we sat down with our parents for the Kachinas and we're like, look, this whole event is specifically for you guys and your daughters. And it's, and we kind of had to like fight for it and say, look, like, we understand it's a little expensive. We understand that we ask you for a lot of money during the year, but this is a once in a lifetime opportunity that you're going to get to have them play in front of you at home. And how on earth will women's hockey ever get anywhere? How will your daughters have anything to dream for if you're not willing to pay $30 to have glass seats when you're willing, you know, like, and a lot of people are like, Oh, I can go to a Coyotes game for $15. And it's like, 
yeah, if you're sitting in the upper bowl, like you're literally sitting in the action. You can hear the players talking to each other on the ice. So we kind of had to have that heart-to-heart with our parents, and the event ended up – we didn't lower our prices, and the event ended up being really, really great. Um, But I think that's where, like, people just have to continue, especially the hockey community, not just the women's and the girls' hockey community, but the the men's side as well, have to start putting their money where their mouth is and um, not just say that they're supporters of women's hockey, but but prove that by – watching it on TV, by posting about it on social media, by paying to go and attend these events. Because if we don't have that happen, um, it's, it's going to be incredibly difficult for a women's league with the best of the best players to ever truly survive. Yeah, you have to be the advocate. You have to do, be the action, not just say, yeah, women's hockey is great, but you have to actually go and support and start at the base level like you are with the parents and going – and just saying really clearly to them, this, this is the future for your daughter. If you want this for her, I think that's amazing. We're seeing, I think one of the great things about like what they're showcasing on the NHL level is, um, you're having a lot of male NHL fans, uh, seeing that. And I think what's happening is now those men who have daughters, Uh, and they're trying to figure out like okay well what's the pathway for my kid now they're starting to see like okay wow the women's hockey is actually legit it's a lot different than 20 years ago when I was a kid playing and um I I think what we're gonna see and what we're gonna need to see is more and more of those male advocates saying to their buddies who have never seen a women's hockey game at the highest level being like hey man like watch this look at this clip tell me this isn't legit like watch the watch the women at the all-star game and I think it's just going to be continuing to the hockey community is big enough we just have to make sure that everybody knows about it and believes in what we're doing exactly and I mean I went to my first ever women's high level hockey game with the team USA team Canada rivalry series and it was uh, like really shocking to me that that was the first time I'd ever seen like the highest level of women playing. And honestly, on the ice, I had, it was not like I was watching women per se, right? I was just watching a killer hockey game between two teams who wanted to kick each other's ass on the ice. There's this heated rivalry. It was amazing hockey. It was so skilled. It was so entertaining. Um, And there was, I mean, there was press about it. And I went to the game in Anaheim, the the final game of that series. And it was the highest, the most, um, what's the phrasing for it? Most attended, right, of of any game. So there is proof that, the sport is growing and people are showing up to watch the women play um, in different capacities. And, and it was, it was so exciting. I was like, this is just as much fun to watch because if you love hockey and I think hockey fans would agree that we just love hockey. Like we love watching whoever's playing. It can be men, women, anything. It doesn't matter if it's good hockey, it's good hockey. And um I think it's it's exciting to see that there's a lot coming down the pipeline in the future. So do you have any final advice for, uh, you know, young women who are interested in playing the sport? 
Oh my gosh. I mean, the big thing that I tell people and the reason that I do what I do is because everything that I've ever had in my life has come through this sport. Um, whether it's my friendships, my memories with my family as a kid on the road, going to hockey tournaments, um, my education, my career, um, in a weird roundabout way, my relationship, like everything I've ever had that's good in my life has come through hockey. And um, that's really what I try to communicate with every parent that I interact with, who's maybe a little unsure about their daughter playing is what your daughter is going to get out of this is going to be worth every penny you ever spend. It's going to be worth every second you spend freezing your butt off, watching her at a rink. It's mm -hmm. going to be worth everything because she's going to develop confidence. She's going to make friends that friends and memories that are going to last for a lifetime. And it's, it's going to be one of the most amazing journeys as a family that you'll ever go on. So that's what I, that's what I tell kids. That's what I try to tell their parents. Um, I'm proof of it. There's a reason we have so many women who come back to Arizona and get involved in our program because we all want the same thing for these kids because we know how much it did for us. I like that. Well, we, Rachel and I always talk about too, and one of the things we like talking about on our podcast is what makes the sport so special. And I think you just saying it's so family oriented that I think that's kind of what we always end up getting out of it. So that's, it's good to hear from you. It's a small, it's a small community. I mean, and I, I tell kids this who are like 15, 16, looking to start looking at colleges. I'm like, we're in Albuquerque right now. But I'm telling you, the women's hockey community is small enough that if you, like, I scare them a little bit. I'm like, if you screw around at my camp, I'm going to remember that. And if I ever have a college coach say, hey, I, I heard you do camps in Albuquerque. Do you know this girl? I'm going to remember you if you were that kid that was messing around at camp. So, but it, I mean, it really is that small. It's everybody knows everybody. And that's, that's one of the most magical things about it. Um, so I would just say, you know use it to your advantage and it's, it's going to be that family for life for sure. Yeah, exactly. Well, we always like to ask the two, uh, two fun questions. Sorry, I'm going to, I'm going to cough real quick. Go ahead. <laughs> two fun questions <laughs> at the, uh, the end of every episode. So who is your favorite hockey hunk? Hockey hunk. Ooh. Uh, I don't know if I'd call him my favorite hockey hunk, but I, as far as like who has my heart, it would definitely be Shane Doan. He uh, obviously for, you know, Arizona has been mental yep. here and uh, he's, he's a good looking dude and he's a nicer person. So he, uh, he actually came when we did that PWHPA event, they did one of the games against the Coyotes alumni and he and I played together for that, which was, which was <laughs> awesome. He's a really, really great guy. Yeah. And he was a good captain too. So. Mm-hmm. He was. So who's your favorite hockey lady? Favorite hockey lady. Man. Um, that is hard. I will say that um, I think one of the, the women that I respect more than anyone is uh, Josephine Pucci who I played with at Harvard and I played with on the Olympic team. She would be a great one for you to have on your podcast if you ever have the time or if she ever has the time. But she, uh, she's just like the most hardworking, down-to-earth person I've ever met. Um, works for every inch she gets. And she 
um, got a horrible concussion right before like the oh. year before the Olympics had to like take a year off of school, recover, um, managed to stick with it, made the Olympic team, like crazy story, um, made the Olympic team and, uh, ended up finishing her career at Harvard with me and then went on to become a doctor in the army. So she is currently <laughs> serving. So she, she is an incredible human being who I look up to as a friend and as a hockey player. That's insane. Wow. wow. Those are stories that need to be shared. And I'm really glad that you mentioned her and, and gave us a little glimpse of her story and all of the other stories. I feel like we have to have you back on. So like we, we've laid the groundwork and now I feel like we have to have you back to tell like some really great stories or like funny sure. stories or anything that's like, you know, happened throughout your career. I feel like we need to do just like a straight story episode with you. Absolutely. I'm so down. Come Good. up with some uh, topics and as you can tell, I will I will just run. I'll go. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, so thank you. Get, tell everybody uh, where they can follow you, how they can get in touch with you, how they can attend camps, all, all the stuff. Yeah. So uh, my Instagram handles, I have two. I kind of have my personal one where I do um, a lot of like my mental performance coaching mm -hmm. stuff. Uh, so that one's Lindsay underscore Fry underscore 18. You'll find me. Just make sure you spell Lindsay with a Y not an I. Um, and then you can also follow my uh, Fry Hockey accounts. Um, and then as far as camps, uh, it's, it's a little weird with coronavirus right now, but uh, you can go to fryhockey.com. Um, if, if I end up going that online route, that's open to anybody who wants to do it nationally. So that would be a uh, second week of June. So if you are interested in that, I'm like 99% sure that's, that's the route I'm going to go. So um, you can find information on there for that. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot of different ways to find me. Um, I'm, I'm happy to connect and, and happy to help where I can. Well, thank you so much, Lindsay. This was awesome. You shared so much light on <clears throat> women's hockey and your journey. And I think it's really inspiring and I hope, I hope I like, I'm excited to watch it grow for women in the sport and seeing you at the helm. It's, it, you know, as one of the major leaders in this is amazing. So thanks for, for taking the time to tell everybody about it. Yeah, of course. And thank you guys. This was, this was a lot of fun. And um, I always enjoy talking to anybody who wants to advocate for women's hockey. So thank you guys for all that you do. Thanks for coming over to our House of Hockey podcast and hanging out with us. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. And in the meantime, you can follow us on social media. Just look for House of Hockey podcast. We'll be back next week.